It's an awesome day to be in God's house. Thankful that the little bit warmer weather's here to help us fall uh, uh, some things out. It's been frozen for some time. Uh, the driveway's been slick, but we've been able to make it up to our house every day, thankfully. Uh, grateful for uh, everybody that's come out today. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to begin at verse 31. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, we're going to read a little bit, several verses here today, but um, it's good stuff that will uh, help us in our walk with Christ. So John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Look at your neighbor and say, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Everybody quotes that verse a lot in church, and a lot in their Christian walk. They'll, they'll quote that verse quite often. Verse 33, they, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them and said, Most surely I say to you, whosoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus is speaking to them and declaring to them that their sin has them in bondage, that they are a slave. Uh, they weren't uh, too accustomed to being told that the same way we wouldn't be too accustomed to being told that in our life. But if we commit sin, Jesus is telling us here that we're a slave to sin. Verse 35, it says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Verse 36, Therefore, if a son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Verse 38 says, I speak what I have seen my father with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Then they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's, Abraham's children, you would have done the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father who is God. So as saying here in verse 41, I believe that it's uh, uh, painting a picture as Jesus is, is t telling them that there is a sin, it's their bondage, that they are uh, have another father other than Abraham. They're not liking it very much. So now it's like a, a, a childhood uh, kindergarten game where they're, it's, it's up in the ante every time in their debate here. So then they get back at Jesus by saying, this is verse 41, you do your deeds from Father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father who is God. So what they're telling Jesus is they're making fun because he was born out of wedlock. Because fornication is having sex outside of marriage, which produces a child, they're saying here. And they're saying you're a son of a uh, that doesn't have a father because you were born out of wedlock. So they're jabbing back at Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God, nor have I come for myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're unable to listen to my word. 
You're the father of devil, and the desires of your father wants to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand the truth, because there's no truth in him. Notice there it says no. The devil has no truth, period. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is God, he who is of God, hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not right, say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So they're telling Jesus here that he's a Samaritan. So apparently a rumor had got around that maybe Mary had went off with some other tribe or something and had a son. Because a Samaritan is somebody that's partially a Jewish person. They're in a region right above uh, Judea, Judea, that they're up above Jerusalem there, and it's a Samaritan. We know in further parts of the Gospels that Jesus goes through Samaria, and he talks to the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4. We know all these places that it's speaking about. So John is writing this down, and this is the thing that the Jewish people are telling Jesus, that he's got a demon, that he's a Samaritan, that he's not as holy or not as righteous as them because of his lineage, because of who he is, because of his DNA. How sad is it when we look at people because of their ethnic ethnic background or, or who they are or their genealogy or what region from America they're from? If we look down upon anyone, I believe it does injustice towards that person. Jesus said, verse 49, I do not have a demon but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall not or never see death. This is a promise from Jesus that we will not see death. It also says that Paul states in one of the epistles that uh, it's pointed to man wants to die, and after that's a judgment. So there's definitely a difference in Jesus, what Jesus is speaking here about that we shall not see death. So a person that trusts and believes in Jesus, that gives their life to him, accepts him as their Lord and Savior, they will not see death. How many would like to not see death or not fear death? Amen? So this is what Jesus is promising here. It's a promised land type of sermon we're speaking today. Verse 52, Then the Jews said to him, Now we do not... Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Why do you make yourself out to be? Who do you make yourself out to be? Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say... I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not know him, but I do know him and keep his word. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it as, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and yet you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took upon them took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed them by. When Jesus can walk through a crowd of people that's seeking to stone him because of what he just said, 
It shows his power over humanity. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the land of promise. Lord, we just ask that your word would speak to us today. Help us to overcome issues in our life. Anything that's burdening anyone in this room. God, any, any uh, a sin that they may have. It says in Hebrews that it so easily besets us. That the writer of Hebrews said to cast it off. God, help us in this room today, every individual here, to cast off anything that separates them from you. Help us to overcome in this world that we're living so that we can be with you forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone says, Amen. The land of promise. So I love it that John and the apostle, uh, John is writing this down, this uh, gospel that he's writing to give us the words of Jesus. Because the words of Jesus are comforting. They are important to our life. And we began in the first part of this that Jesus said, if you abide in his word or read his word or study his word, that you're truly a disciple. And he also says that then you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How many, how many in this room today would like to be made free? Amen? Free from sin, free from the bondage of whatever we're dealing with in our life, that Jesus come to set us free. So Jesus is telling us if we study the Word of God, if we would truly dig in and uh, debate these things of Scripture, that we would see that we would become a stronger Christian, and in becoming a stronger Christian, our freedom should increase the farther we go along in life. So as, as Christians of people that attends church, that goes to church, that gives your life to God, I believe that we're to study scripture. It says, Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, but rightly divide the word of truth. So I believe when we study scripture and really dig into scripture, that we can see insights inside of this text that can help us become more free. And in becoming more free, it helps us in this life and in the life yet to come. So John's helping us out here by writing these things down. But if we study really and look at this, you'll see that the Jewish people, have, uh, I listen to podcasts and stuff all the time, so if you get into a, a Jewish uh, a way of thinking, a mindset, you can listen to some rabbis, some common uh, modern-day rabbis, and they'll debate. They're constantly debating. They're a debating type of people. They love to interact, and, and they don't ever come to a conclusion of agreement a lot of times, but they walk away understanding that tomorrow we'll meet again and we'll debate Scripture again. So it's in their everyday part of their life that their civil way of living is, is based off of Scripture. Uh, their ceremonial way of worshiping God is based out of Scripture. And in their moral compass, if you would say it that way, their moral compass is based on God's Word. So their, uh, the way they conduct themselves, uh, their morals, their ethics. So everything a Jewish person does revolves around the Word of God. That's all they do is debate back and forth. So this was not an uncommon thing for two or three or four or five Jewish people to be standing in the middle of the road and debating the way Jesus and his uh, uh, opposition here was debating in the middle of the street. It was a normal occurrence for them. It's the way they interact in, in public life. And I believe in interacting in Scripture that it helps us grow in Scripture. I believe in having a discourse, or, or maybe even uh, uh, sometimes people disagree. I, I sat over at Greg's shop before and listened to five or six different people, and usually there's about five or six different opinions of our six people there. That there's, not, there's common ground, we can find common ground in Jesus. 
Any Christian that you walk up to, no matter what their denomination or background or whatever, you can say Jesus can set you free. They'll all believe that because that's scripture. So sometimes they'll debate back or forth, but, but Jesus will do that. It's wholesome. Look at your neighbor and say, I need to study more. Amen. I need to study more. I need to know God's word. I need to know more about it to become strengthened. Uh, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, my word will abide in you. So if we study and get into the scripture, we'll see that scripture will impact our life and cause us to become a better person. Morality and in ethics and how we conduct ourselves. But this land of promise, if we go all the way back and put this in historical context in the land of promise, I want us to see today that, that if you go all the way back to the original book in, in Scripture, uh, the first book in the Bible is Genesis, the book of Genesis. And if we study through Genesis, we can go through it really quick. It's like 50-some chapters uh, in it. It's divided up. And that wasn't done until about 100-some years ago. Used to, you just read the whole book. There wasn't no chapter or verse or nothing like that. That's a new thing. But uh, back then, it was just all one book. So it was the book of Genesis. And, but really in chapter 1 we know it's creation and, and 2 is where he creates man. And then you, you get into chapter 3 and then all the way up to Noah comes into play in chapter 7 or 8, something like that. And then you get to chapter 12 and then Abraham comes on the scene. And his name is Abram. Abram. His name is not Abraham. God changes his name. Whenever God speaks, he changes you. Amen? Whenever he speaks in your life, Whenever you begin to listen and heed the warnings that he's given you, you will become a different person. And here, the Abram, standing here on his land, he grew up in Ur, the Chaldeans, is what it says in Scripture. And that's a land in modern day, what we would say in modern day, which is Iran. So if you really want to trace genealogy all the way back, every Jewish person on the planet today is truly an Iranian. So sometimes we need to watch what country we're saying do this to or that to. Because maybe all the Jews are really bloodline of the Iran, modern-day Iran, Persians. It's kind of wild when you think about it. So you got the picture. This is the land of Israel. This is the promised land. There's two different borders there. One's from after the prophet Ezekiel begins, and the original one is the, the uh, promise according to Abraham, to what God promised Abraham. So it's the land of Israel that we, modern-day Israel, that we know today. It would come back into existence in 1948. But Abram's over in this land, and in this Ur of Chaldeans, this is a land where there's all kinds of gods that there's just, it's, it's a land uh, that they worship all kinds of idols, just different things. And this is what uh, Abram grew up in. That was his custom practice that he saw all of his neighbors, his friends, his his family, that's all they did was worship these different idols. They may, somebody may have this little trinket that they would worship and all this different stuff. And, and Abram's standing there and, he, and something gets to him and he's like, he begins to pray and he gets this voice, inter, internal voice, that he hears that's the voice of God. And God says, leave your family and come to the land I'll show you, the land flowing with milk and honey. It's Genesis chapter 12. And as Abram hears this voice, he's like, there is a God that speaks. This is new to him because all the gods he had ever witnessed were gods of trinkets and maybe this plant or maybe it's that cow or maybe it's this or that. But there's all kinds of gods. People worship all different kinds of things. But this God is a God that speaks. So that's different for Abram. And he's standing there and he hears this voice and it's so compelling that he says, I've got to do something about this. Because we can all stay the same. Amen? We can all stay in our own ways and do what we want to do. But the truth is, if God speaks to our heart, we ought to understand there's something different about that kind of God that can speak even to me. Amen, a sinner. 
Paul says while we're yet sinners, he loves us. He, he relishes over us. He, he desires us. He, he wants us to abide with him forever in heaven. So here, the God of heaven speaks to Abraham. He says, come out from amongst them. Come out of those people that you're with now, and I'm going to give you this land. I want to show you this land, and your descendants are going to be as great as the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. And, and Abraham's just like dumbfounded by this, but, but he, he's obedient. He walks away from his family. And you've got to understand, in that culture, in that part of the world during this time, uh, people's not usually... Uh, very friendly to outsiders. Can somebody say amen? Amen. No matter what kind of, if you're, if you're the only one there and you don't know anybody, it's kind of odd. It's awkward. We talked about that last week, right? With the awkward that comes to us. So here Abram just says, okay, because this God is speaking to me and I hear it internally in my heart, I know there, that there's somebody telling me and calling me. He walks out in obedience and takes off walking, but he leaves his family. And in that culture, your family was your only refuge. That was your safe place because if you've got family, you've got friends. Amen? If you've got family, you've got a comfort zone. You've got a network of people that will protect you. But Abram walks away from that comfort, from that protection, because God is calling. How many of us follow God rather than man? How many of us leave our comfort zone and actually step out and say, no matter what, God, no matter what voices coming from man, I'm going to obey your word before I obey man. This is something we need to introspect today, individually. I can't call anybody out. It's not my job. It's our own job to introspect our life, to say, God, what are you saying to me? What is the God of heaven speaking to your heart? Whatever he speaks to you, obey it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Just listen to the voice of God. He will not lead you astray. He's the good shepherd, the Bible tells us. So uh, Abraham gets his voice. He takes off. He goes to this land. They get into it. They, they get over there, and they, they fight this one tribe, and they, they land. Really, it's basically a common day. In modern day, it would be Jerusalem. So they land there, and next thing you know, they're getting in a fight with this tribe, and Abraham goes one way, and we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah happens, that Abraham's nephew goes with him a lot, and he wants to go to this other land, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you go all the way through Genesis, and we get through all these chapters, and then next thing you know, Abraham, he's 90-some years old, and God sends these three people down from heaven. The angels come and visit him, and they speak to him. They say, next year you're going to have a son. And Abraham's like, what? A son? I'm 99 years old. Anybody 99 in here? Imagine having a kid that old. Sarah's wife is right about the same age. She says she's in the tent that says she laughs. Right? She laughs. She's like, that ain't even possible. I'm beyond the years of that. It's, those years are long past gone. I'm not going to have any kids. But he has his son the next year, and they call him Isaac. So now you've got Abraham, and then Isaac's on the scene. And Isaac is the, the beloved son, and Abraham carries him up on the thing, and you know the sacrificing story and all this different stuff as we go through Genesis. This story can really come alive. If we would read Scripture and read Genesis as a storybook and let our mind through God's Holy Spirit play it out like a movie reel, it can become as real as anything I've ever read. I love Scripture because in reality, it's what speaks to my heart and speaks to my spirit man to build me up. Right? So it's, this is going on, and then Abraham has Isaac. The next thing you know, Isaac grows up, and, and he, he begins, becomes married, and, and they get for him a wife, and he, he has his wife. And next thing you know, he has his twins. It's uh, Abraham, Isaac, and uh, 
Then you have Jacob and Esau, his twins. So you know the story of Jacob, and Jacob goes on. The, the second son grabbed him by the heel, all this stuff. The story goes, it's amazing in Genesis how the story goes. But uh, Jacob's there. He, he becomes next in line the descendants. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everybody say Abraham, Abraham. Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's, that's just some terminology that's commonplace throughout Scripture that you understand. It's all over the place throughout the remainder of Scripture. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. He has 12 of them, man. That's a lot. <laughs> Anybody got 12 kids? <laughs> Not 12. That'd be a lot, wouldn't it? Like Amy and Jackson, they've got like a whole herd there. They're, you know, that's, they got three, but that's like a big family anymore. But back then, man, 12 kids. 12 sons. Just the sons. So you have his sons, and we know the story that, that it now comes on as, as you get through the last parts of Genesis that, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob has these 12 sons, and there's there, the sons begin to fight. And surely ain't nobody in this room ever had any kids to fight or anything. I mean, that's just not a, you know, that never happens. They all just get along. It's the perfect little world, right? All the parents can say amen, right? The kids never fight, nothing like that. But these sons are kind of really, they turn into hoodlums, really. Because Ten of them don't like that one because he got the fancy coat. So, you know, you got this Joseph kid, and he, he, his name's Joseph, and the last son's name Benjamin, I think's awesome because Benjamin's like the best name ever. But, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, if I was wanting to say what pick the best kid would be for sure. But, uh, but Joseph got the fancy coat, so all his brothers, they take him and they sell him. What if Ryan sold Brandon? Wouldn't that be awesome? It's crazy to even think about it, isn't it? In reality, what if... Kenzie might sell her brother, I don't know. It might, might be possible. But I mean, you never know. Kids selling their brother or sister, it's just kind of crazy. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they got 12, Jacob's got 12 sons. That's the tribes of Israel. So this is where all the tribes of Israel, this is the modern day uh, Israel that you see. They're still broken up into tribes. So these 12 tribes are there, and... Uh, so Joseph, he gets down into, uh, he's sold into slavery. He takes off down into Egypt because these people that bought him take him down to Egypt and they sell him as a slave. They sell him as a captive. And it's just amazing to me that God can even use slavery to bring about his will. It's not God's will to have slavery. Somebody say amen. That wasn't very convincing. Maybe you guys might, might own somebody or something. I don't know. Let's say, let's say slavery is not of God, right? It's not good, right? So that type of slavery, being sold not according to your will. So Joseph sold into slavery, and he, he's down there, and he gets in Potiphar's house. He begins to be blessed no matter where he's at. He's, he's got the uh, son uh, that's got the fancy coat. Now they tear it off of him, and now he's down there in Potiphar's house and begins to be blessed in Potiphar's house. So it doesn't matter where he's at. He's blessed wherever he goes. How many would like to be like that? Amen, a chosen one. He's the one that can hear God's voice. So he can, he can interpret dreams. He's got all these visions and things going on. He's somebody that listens to God, Joseph is. So here, no matter where he goes, he still listens to God. So he, he's in Potiphar's house. He raises up. Potiphar puts him in control of everything. Then his wife lies on him. Potiphar's wife lies on Joseph. Told a story. Said he tried to rape her or whatever. And they take this son. It, they take Joseph and they throw him in the pen. So now he's in the penitentiary. So he's a slave that's in the penitentiary. How crazy is that? But in the penitentiary, guess what's happening to Joseph? He's still down there praying. He's still down there thinking about God. He's still listening to the voice of God. He becomes blessed even in prison. How awesome is that, to be blessed even in prison? He's there. He becomes blessed. He begins to take care of stuff, do different things. 
And next thing you know, he's, he's interpreting dreams for these two guys. And one of them gets back to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh's having a bad time with some dreams here. In the end of Genesis, we're going all the way through Genesis in about 15 minutes. It's kind of hard to preach 57 chapters, but I'm doing the best I can. So here we go, and we get there, and, and, and Joseph's let down in the prison still, and this guy gets up there to cut bird, and he says, I was down in prison once, and I remember a guy that interpreted a dream for me, and it came to pass. This is a guy that can interpret dreams. I believe in dreams. Amen? I believe God can use dreams, and I believe he imports dreams in our life. I, I, I pray that we would, we would be a, a, a generation that would rise up and, 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 and believe in dreams and, and interpret dreams according to Scripture. Now, you can have a pizza dream, and that's not of God, right? You can eat too much pizza and mess up your brain, and you'll have a dream. Some dreams are of God. I still believe in that. So Joseph interprets this Pharaoh's dream and tells him that seven cows are the years of plenty, and seven skinny cows are the, are the, are the years of famine. And uh, the Pharaoh believes him. The Pharaoh's like, okay, I'm going to put you in charge of everything. You just take care of uh, You're like Tommy. Over there, it's got these big combines and all this stuff. And out there picking corn and all this, you know. And, and you store it all up in these silos. And, and that's what Joseph's job was, to take care of all the grain and all the taxes and all the things he's done. So Joseph did all this. He becomes blessed in that. He stores up enough, plus has a bunch left over to feed everybody. Next thing you know, his brothers that sold him into slavery are still up in Israel. So now he's down here in, in Egypt with the Pharaoh. And his brothers comes down because they heard there's there's food that there's bread in, in Egypt. So they come down to Egypt to buy some bread. They don't even know it's their brother that they sold because now he's got this uh, mascara on, you know, according to the movies I watched about, you know, Egypt or whatever. She, you know, he's got my, a, a big snake scalp thing on. And that'd be cool to wear if he's bald-headed. I mean, it'd be awesome. So here Pharaoh's down there, and, and he comes up, and they see his brother. They don't even know it's him. Joseph sees him. He gives him enough food and tells him to go back and get your dad and bring him down here because Joseph wants to see his dad again. And when they go up to get their dad, and they bring Benjamin back, and when they come down, Joseph goes out to meet him, and he falls on his dad's shoulder, and he tells him how much he loved him, and his dad thought he'd been dead all these years because the brothers lied when they went home, when they sold him to slavery and said that he got killed. So here the dad finds his son that's been gone forever. And he's second in command over all of Egypt. That's pretty awesome. But it's not the land that God promised. See, sometimes we can get in a place of blessing, even outside of what God promises. Amen? Amen. But I want to be in the perfect will of God. There's a permissive will of God, and there's a perfect will of God. You can be in God's permissive will and get by with a lot of stuff in your life. There's a whole other thing to be in the perfect will of God for your life. It's where the blessings are bountiful. It's where it just overtakes you. It's overwhelming. It's kind of like the song. It's overwhelming. So Joseph's there and he gets his dad. They all have a big family reunion. It's pretty awesome. Joseph's in charge. Next thing you know, Genesis ends. Joseph laid the rest. They carry Joseph's bones back up into Israel inside the borders. They bury him. And then the Bible begins the next book. It's the book of Exodus. The second book in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus happens. Chapter 1, we know Pharaoh don't like it because there's too many slaves. The slaves take over. Afraid that the slaves are going to take over. So he puts out this decree to kill all the male children of the Israelites. 
And Moses' mother throws him in the river in this little basket. Send him off because she don't want to kill him. She weaves a basket, puts him in the sense that's the decree, so you gotta throw him in the river. Give birth to the son, you gotta throw him in the river. There's some mean people out there. Next thing you know, Pharaoh's own daughter. Pharaoh made this decree, his own daughter is out there swimming, runs into this basket, takes up this kid and says, Wow, I want a kid. And she takes him as her own, and she raises it. Moses becomes, he raises, he raises up in, in Egypt and he's part of the Egyptian household of the Pharaoh. But all these slaves are out there, his descendants, his, his, or his uh, uh, family is out there and they're all slaves. And he's growing up in a palace, but all his kinfolk are slaves. And one day he's walking by and he sees one of these Egyptians beating on one of the slaves. And it provokes anger inside of his heart and he says, that's my kinfolk. I want to protect them. So he goes over and he looks, and nobody's looking, nobody's around, so he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand to let his kinfolk go. Next thing you know, the next day, somebody said, I've seen you do that. Moses gets scared, takes off to the wilderness. I love this. The Bible becoming real. Moses takes off to the wilderness, runs away because he's scared of Pharaoh. He'll kill him if he finds out he killed an Egyptian. Moses up here finds a girl, was up with Water takes up for them. One of them becomes his wife. He has kids. He's tending to the sheep. So he grew up in a palace. He grew up, uh, I don't even know where to say today in today's world, uh, Trump Towers. He grew up in Trump Towers. <laughs> now all of a sudden he's out there tending to the sheep of his father-in-law. And he's up there on the side of the mountain one day and it says that he looked and there was a bush burning up on the side of the hill and it wouldn't consume Something inside of Moses said, turn hither, turn over here, come over here, and take the shoes off your feet because this is a holy place and your world is getting ready to be wrecked in modern day terms. That's Ben's version. Moses takes off his shoes. i got white socks on, don't make fun of me. says, this is a holy place. And he walks up to this bush and God's voice, the voice of God, speaks from the bush. Says, I'm calling you to go back to Egypt. And I want you to set my people, the slaves, free. Because I'm going to take them back to the land that's flowing with milk and honey that I promised Abraham. Because if God promises, it's got to happen, right? So here he's sitting, Moses on his knees, and he's saying, But God, I stuttered. Yeah, okay, I'll send Aaron with you. He's got all these excuses, just like us, whenever God speaks to us. Amen? Got all these excuses. But Moses finally gets. There and says, okay, I'll go back. He goes back, plagues, all this stuff happens. It's amazing. These descendants that Jesus was talking to says, Abraham is my father. They thought it was because of DNA. But we can find out in, in Galatians that it says that those that are of faith are children of Abraham. Those people that can hear the voice of God and recognize it and turn their life over to it. Those are the children of Abraham. That's the true Israel. It's the true people, the children of God. These people didn't believe. They didn't hear the voice of God that Jesus was talking to. They were saying, we know Abraham. But we couldn't hear, they couldn't hear God's voice when it's standing right in front of them. How many of us is the same way? Sometimes we doubt when God speaks. It's pure doubt, right? It says here that, that sin is, is, is a slave 
I mean, if somebody owns somebody, they don't give them up. If somebody owns a slave, they don't give them up very easy. You don't believe me? Go back to 1863. That'll prove the point of how much people want to give up slaves, people they own. It's not okay to own somebody. Amen? Amen. So here we go. Let's talk about slavery. Want to talk about slavery for a minute? You okay with this? You okay? Let's talk about slavery a little bit. So these slave people in 1863, they didn't want to give up their slaves, and then next thing you know, the Civil War, and now you got uncles killing nephews, and brothers killing brothers, and dads killing sons, fighting war. 400,000 Americans die over what to own other humans. The Bible says that carnality, the carnal mind, is enmity with God. It's hatred towards God. We can become so carnal-minded that we're of no value to God. Amen? Amen? We can think so much of ourselves and so least of others that we can become so carnal-minded that it's hatred towards God because God loves everybody. Amen? All of creation. If they're breathing air and got red blood, God loves them just as much as he does us. We can look at people because their skin color is different and think, well, you know, they might be an inferior race and blah, 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 blah. We're Caucasian, we're this, and we're from, you know, from England, and we're over there from Europe, and we're a lot smarter. And everybody. Yeah, whatever. God loves everybody the same. Somebody say amen. amen. God loves everybody the same. It doesn't matter. And the Orioles are not least than us. And, you know, all these different things. And just because they're from the islands of Hawaii and out through there and all that, that they're not different than us. They're still red-blooded human beings that's breathing air, and God loves them. Amen? So here we are today, we're at this point to say about slavery. So I want us to talk about slavery just for a second. And there's points of slavery that uh, in the Old Testament, some people say, well, you know, God, God uh, in the Old Testament, uh, he, he condoned slavery. And they think slavery is okay in the Bible. And they come to this conclusion because they only believe what they believe because that's what they've always thought. They don't study Scripture to understand the truth of what Scripture is saying. So we believe what we believe because it's what we want to believe. Amen? Amen? But scripture is a different thing. It's, a, it's something totally different sometimes and it contradicts what we believe. So I begin to look at that and, 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 and in the Old Testament you'll see in Exodus and in Leviticus it's, there's places that talk about slavery and sure slavery is in the Old Testament. You'll see that there was slavery there and I can't uh, deny that. I can't say that there was no slavery because there was slavery in the Old Testament. But God allows slavery to happen in the Old Testament under the law, the Levitical law, because people that stole from somebody owed them. So there was no jails. So back then, what they did, if I stole it off Mike, and I couldn't pay it, or I didn't have any money, I become his slave. That was my sentence, was you're the slave of that guy for six years. So now, Mike's my taskmaster. I belong to him. So that's the slavery in the Old Testament. It's somebody that stole from somebody. That's the slavery that's allowed. So if you really get into studying slavery, there's other... Versions too, the uh, uh, somebody become a bond servant. I can after I served with Mike for six years, say I'm poor, I'm destitute, I don't have anything. The reason I stole from him because I didn't have anything. So now I go live with him, and he, I'm his slave, and he owns me. And I live six years. At the end of that six years, I can become free. But I decide then, hey, it's better here than it is out there. Can I stay, Mike? And he's like, yeah, I'm a good taskmaster. I'll let you stay. And it says what they would do: they would take their right ear lobe and they would pierce it with an awl on a wood board. And put a big hole in her earlobe, basically, and that become a bond servant. That was somebody that will, willingly remained a slave, so that they could keep the lifestyle they were living. 
That's what slavery is in the Old Testament. There's all kinds of places. If you want to truly study what, what's really there versus what we think, right? Because the only version we got is what we have. And there's all kinds of places that talks about that. But it actually says uh, in one place that it's a sin to kidnap somebody and put them in slavery. And it says that if somebody kidnaps somebody and puts them into slavery, they should be put to death. That's Old Testament law. So the slavery we think about in modern-day slavery, about the African-Americans being captured on Africa and brought over here as slaves here, yes, that's wrong. That's against God's Old Testament word. Amen? It's against the word of God. I don't believe in that at all. I don't condone that at all. There's, God's ways are better than our ways. Amen. How would like to see there be no more, no more jails? Wouldn't it be awesome? If somebody did you wrong, they had to pay you back. But there's also a year of Jubilee. You ever heard of that? The Old Testament talks about the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, everything was based back to nothing. So if you owed somebody something, it went back to zero. If I bought a house off of Greg and I owe Greg for the house, and 50 years come up, the year of Jubilee, I don't owe Greg anymore. How many like to see that come back in? Amen. Make a law in America like that. Wouldn't that be awesome? But the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Right? The Old Testament says the borrower is slave to the lender. So I want to know in this place today, how many slaves do I have? Does anybody owe for a car? I want you to raise your hand. Anybody owe for a house? Does anybody owe for a water bill that you already got the water come from the city and they're going to send you a bill to the month or something you, are, you owe them for it, right? Or electric, you've already got your electricity for the month and they've already got a little meter read it and you owe for it. So pretty much everybody in this room is a slave. We're a slave because we owe somebody. So, in saying that, we're all slaves. But really, yeah. the point the worst slavery is not just owing somebody, a human. The worst slavery is owing God. The worst one. Because we're going to be accountable for our sin. And Jesus told those people standing there today, he said, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, and the truth will make you free. And what he told them was that sin makes you a slave. Paul goes on to say this again in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 and all kinds of places in Scripture that talks about being a slave to sin. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I don't want to give account to God someday and try to take up for my own actions according to what I'm able to do. Because I know right now that God's justice and His righteousness is far beyond the expectations of what I can live up to. And say, amen, I'm a slave to sin. But Jesus said you can be free. The land of promise that I'm talking about today is a land where that you can walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ and know that heaven will be your eternity forever. You don't have to suffer death. Sure, you might die. This old physical body might lay down. But the Bible says the soul and the spirit of man will live forever. And I want my eternity to be in heaven. That's where I want my freedom to be. And sure, I want to be free here. I would love to be out of debt. How many would like to be out of debt? Amen. Amen. I would love to be out of debt be awesome here on this earth but I much more want to be out of debt with God Amen. won't you stand Amen. I want you if you would just bow your head and close your eyes and I want everybody in this room to just pray a very simple prayer Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 11 that God's no respecter of persons. That he will, he's, he's the same with everybody. 
Paul says this grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. There's nobody that can say, God didn't tell me. So why don't you pray here very simply today is, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today through this sermon? I believe there's some people in this room that where we come to the part about finances and being a slave that makes you feel like, yeah, I feel like a slave because I owe too much. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about that. But I believe He'll give you an answer of how to get out of debt. I believe He can give you ideals and wisdom and things from the Word of God if you would truly study to say, what does God's Word say of how do I get out of debt? Not man's philosophy or anything else. What does God's Word say? He don't want you to be in debt. He can be the answer you need. There's people in this room today that God is speaking to in multiple ways. Nobody in this room is the same. There's some people today that God's speaking to you. His Holy Spirit has answered you back if you pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Say it in your heart right now. And let him speak to you. He may be telling you be set free today from your sin because you're a slave to it. And today's the day you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's some people in this room that's hearing from God right now and saying, you don't study my word enough. You don't debate my word enough. You don't talk about me enough to your friends, to your colleagues. The Holy Spirit will speak to us if we will ask. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. I believe that with my whole heart. I just want to pray for everybody here right now. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it brings. And God, I pray for every individual in this room right now as your Holy Spirit is speaking to them today. God, if they're praying for salvation right now, I'm saying, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I'm tired of living in sin. I'm tired of the bondage of sin. I'm tired of the shackles that the enemy is trying to keep me under this persecution that he's got me under. He's a hard taskmaster. He doesn't want to give me up. Just as much as the American population didn't want to give up slaves so many years ago, the devil doesn't want to give up his slaves even today. And you're praying right now, God, give me free. You said in your word right here that if I know the truth, the truth will make me free. And I'm praying today. If there's people here praying that right now, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you minister to their heart. Let them know. Give them comfort. Give them peace to know that salvation today has come to their house. God, for those that's in financial trouble, that's made some bad decisions, and God, they didn't get in trouble overnight, and they're not going to get out of it overnight, but God, you can give them design from your word, Lord, the, the things that they need to do, that you can give them the patterns, and Lord, I thank you for a church that does groups like group, uh, the couponing group, God, that uh, is helping people, and that will help people get out of debt. Father, just help us to obey your word. God, I pray for every individual in here today, as they hear from you, Lord, that they will act on it and be like Abraham that their land of promise, that they would walk away from this place today knowing, I have heard from God, and I'm going to listen. They're ready to lay down whatever sin so easily besets them that it says in Hebrews. Let them run the race, God, the race of life. 
and life everlasting. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen.